y'all can go to the back and go out for church. Hello, everybody. Y'all doing good? That was the warmest greeting I've gotten all day. All right, so uh, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. We're going to pick up where we left off. Um, and I just want to real quick do a little recap. If you remember, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, we looked at Jesus sending out the 12 disciples. Remember, he sends them out two by two. And it's really cool because he gives them authority not only to go preach, like they're going to they're gonna preach the messages they've heard Christ preaching. So he gives them authority to go do that. But he also gives them authority to cast out demons and to heal people. And so they're actually performing miracles and they're doing the things that they have been watching Christ do, and it's, which is just amazing. And then we kind of got that uh, weird little story. Uh, weird's not the right word. Disturbing would be the right word. Where Herod this supposed to be king over Israel is throwing this crazy party just for the elite in Israel, like the yes men that kind of work underneath him. And it escalates to this really weird place where it ends, like the story ends last week with John the Baptist being beheaded. And then it rolls right from that to where we're going to be tonight, which is the feeding of the 5,000. So Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30, says this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. All right, we'll pause there. So they come back and they're telling Jesus, they're, they're giving a report of all the awesome things they've been doing and seeing. And so they're celebrating that. And, and Jesus says, hey, listen, let, let's go away. Let's just us. We'll go get away. You can give me a good debrief. We'll get to rest. And, and Mark adds in, like, things were cr- so crazy in the ministry they're just constantly going. There's, there's no end to the needs that people are bringing to them. There's no end to the opportunities to proclaim the gospel, to teach about the kingdom, that it says it's not, that they can hardly get a break to eat, to, to take a snack, to get a meal together. So it's like, let's go away, just us, we'll stop, we'll eat, and you guys can tell me all about it. So it's this really cool picture of, you know, in ministry, there's time for rest. It's, you know, it's, it's okay to pull away for a little while. And uh, I've heard so many people start to go down that trail when studying this. But the reality is, it doesn't happen because the people. Now, this time of year, uh, what? Pause here. So, one of the things I love about this passage is, aside from the resurrection, this is the only other miracle that shows up in all four gospel accounts. So that's pretty significant, right? There's like 35-ish miracles that that we have in the gospel stories. And so only two, though, show up in each of the four gospels, which is really helpful because we get fuller context to understand what's going on here. And so we know from some of the other gospel accounts that when this miracle happens is right around the time of the Passover, well, that's significant because the region that they're in right now would have, have 
tripled, if not quadrupled in size, just with the foot traffic of people coming in, preparing to celebrate the Passover. And so, and Jesus is already making waves by teaching with authority, performing miracles, but now the disciples have gone out, right? So six groups go out into all these different villages, and they're preaching, and they're performing miracles, and they're doing it all in Jesus's name. And so that is all that anybody's talking about. That, that is all that's going on. Like that's People want to hear Jesus preach. They want to see him. They want to see him perform a miracle. They themselves maybe need to be healed, and they want to get somebody to him, and that's all that's going on. And so they try to go across the sea in the boat, but people, they see him. They see him get in the boat. They see him start across, and so they actually start running, and Mark tells us a lot of them beat him to the other side. Pick up there. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he, Jesus, answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five, five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And so Matthew actually tells us that there is 5,000 men besides the women and the children. So if there's 5,000 men, we can probably guess there were 5,000 women, roughly. And if you've got men and women together, there's going to be, I don't know why that's funny, kids, right? There's children. And so who knows? right? Who knows, like 15,000, 25,000, 30,000, it's a lot of people. And so I want us to pause right here because this is such a familiar story, isn't it? Like, don't raise your hand, but how many of you, as I'm reading it, you have, you're already filling in some of the other details from the other gospel stories. You're like, oh, didn't somebody, there was a boy. It was the boy's lunch. The disciples didn't have it. The boy had food and they found him. And, and the lad, if you read the King James Version, he, he brought his five loaves and two fish, whether willingly or not, right? Like maybe you've heard this, this preached as uh, the main point of the sermon is the boy who shared, right? He took his little bit and put it in the hands of God and look at what God did. To which I would say, we don't even know that he wanted to share. 
Andrew is probably a lot bigger than him. He's like, hey, kid, what do you got there? Yep, bring it. Like, he maybe didn't want it. There was like one good mom out of everybody who was there. There was one good mom that packed uh, to go lunch, and he got it taken away, right? And, but we're so familiar with this story. And, and even that, like, I don't want to, it's so easy to, to jump to maybe teachings that we've heard on it before, that this is about sharing or this is about giving God your little bit. And I, I don't want to miss the point of this miracle. Like, Jesus wasn't performing miracles only to meet temporary physical needs. They always have a bigger purpose. Always. John tells us at the end of his letter, he's like, hey, listen, there's all kinds of stuff that we got to see Jesus do. And if we could write them down, there's not enough books in the world that would hold, or not enough libraries to hold the books that would be written about everything Jesus did. He's like, but these things were written. We intentionally wrote these things for a purpose. What? He says, so that you can see who Jesus is, see that he's the son of God, and believe in him. There's always a bigger purpose to the miracles. So I don't want to miss that just because I'm familiar with it. I don't want to gloss over what's happening here. So I want us to picture like, man, the crowd of people that are running. I mean, it's pretty impressive if you look at the topography of the sea and where they're you know, most likely going and it's not easy terrain and, and you know, they're cutting across the middle in a boat and these people are running around the edges. It's crazy that some of them would even beat them there. It's how desperate they are to get to Jesus and they come up and they start filling in the mountainside and Jesus steps off the boat. And remember, they're, going to, they're on vacation. They're, taking, they're like, hey, let's take a week off. And you know, all the disciples were like, yes, yes, sir. Let's just go, let's get away from everybody. If they're anything like me, like my, my people battery runs out quickly. <laughs> and and they're, like, they're like, yeah, let's go recharge. Let's just hang out, just us. And then they, they, they step off the boat and they look up and there's all these people. And Jesus, it says, he has compassion on them. And he, here's the key phrase, I think, in, in, in our whole story. It says, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he's gonna meet their need. And so we know from the other accounts that he spends all day, all day, preaching about the kingdom. He's telling them who God is. He's revealing to him what it's like living underneath the rule that he's gonna bring in. He's revealing himself to them. Now, Mark doesn't go into the details of that sermon, but I think he does this one better because he, he tells us about the miracle that accomplishes the same purpose as the sermon. The miracle is revealing the nature and character of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. Because it would seem like, oh, a problem pops up. Jesus is like, I know, let's get him food. And John's account, he, he's asking Philip, he says, hey, uh, give him something to eat. And John says, now Jesus said this to test him. So we get a little insight, like Jesus knows what he's gonna do. He knows he's gonna perform this miracle. And it's awesome, right? He, he takes this boy's supper and prays over it and multiplies it. I'll read you this quote. Listen to this quote. 
natural processes that normally took a season to complete, sowing seed, growing grain, harvesting, threshing, and baking bread, were compressed into a second under the mighty hand of the word made flesh. What normally takes place over a span of months in the hidden recesses of the Sea of Galilee, fish hatching, maturing, then being caught by trolling fishermen, all took place instantaneously in the hand of the creator who had formed the sea and dry land and filled them with life. Isn't that awesome? In a moment, in an instant, I, I wish my mind could conceive what like, this even looks like. Whether it's just like as he's breaking bread and dropping it in, like it just never runs out. It's being created in that moment in his hand. Like, that's just awesome. And it's awesome to think like these people, they're gonna sit down and they're gonna eat fish that never swam. They're, they're eating bread that wasn't baked. It's a miracle. But again, like, it's a miracle that's pointing us to a deeper truth about who Christ is and what his mission is, and how we're to respond. And I think that's where, for me, the story really takes this twist. And we're gonna come back to the phrase I said is, I think, the most important for getting the, the right meaning of the text. But it's interesting, because you think, you know, where Mark leaves it off, everybody eats, and they're full, and they're satisfied, and there's a really cool picture of, like, they take away the baskets, and the baskets are full, like, there's leftovers. It's an, this miracle of abundance. And you would think that everyone leaves and it's a happy story and then it goes on to walking on water, which we'll look at next week. And it's like, that's not really how it ends. Because if you go to John's account and you read like, Jesus actually has to go away because it says that they, they wanna take him and make him king. And Jesus knowing that, like he, he goes away into the mountains. So like, they start asking these questions. They're like, is this guy, is he the prophet? Is he the prophet that Moses told us about? Because Moses had made this prophecy years and years and years ago uh, in Deuteronomy that God was gonna send another prophet like him. And he tells the people before he dies, he says, hey listen, God's gonna raise up another prophet like me. Listen to him. God's words are gonna be in his mouth. You have to pay attention to him. And so they're on the lookout for this. And they're like, is this a prophet like Moses? They're like, is this the king who's gonna lead us out of the situation we're in? Look at what he's doing for us. He's healing. He's got power and authority in his teaching. He's, he's providing for us abundantly. So they wanna take him and make him king and Jesus won't let him. And then the next day, the people find Jesus again. And Jesus says some hard things to him. And we're gonna get there in a little while, but it ends with Jesus walking away from them and, them and, and the majority of the people. The majority of the people who eat the fish and eat the bread, they walk away from Jesus. Do you remember it's where they, where they say, that's a hard teaching. And they turn and walk away from him. It's like, it's not what you expect when you first read the story. You're like, it's a happy story. <laughs> Jesus is feeding everybody. Who doesn't like free food? So what, what's really going on? And why, why, why do they think, okay, this is the prophet? Why do they think this is the king? 
But why were they unsatisfied with Jesus' answer to their questions? So I think the key is Jesus saying he has compassion on them because he sees them like sheep without a shepherd. And that should recall our minds to like, okay, in this image, like what we read during worship, the Lord is my shepherd. Oh, you need me to put it back up. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. It's not a throwaway line when Mark points out, because all but one of the Gospels points this out. The place was full of green grass. See what's happening? Jesus, his foot steps on shore, and he's like, man, they're like sheep that need a shepherd. And then he has them sit down in the green grass, and what does he do? He provides for them. That's why they begin to pick up on, hey, this is our king. Why? Because he's acting like a king. Because for Israel, a good shepherd, it was a picture for how they were to understand kingship. It's also not a coincidence that both Moses and David were shepherds before God called them to lead his people. It's not a coincidence that God would have them spend years of their lives shepherding literal sheep before they shepherded his people. Moses, as like a surrogate king, leading the people out of slavery to the promised land. And David, as a, like a king after God's own heart, that led the people into victory and to worship. That's a picture of kingship. And it recalls our mind to Ezekiel 34, you don't have to turn there, it'll, it'll be on the screen. But I want to read this to you. So the context here is the Lord is calling out all the bad leadership of Israel. All these leaders, uh, kings, prophets, a lot of the priests that haven't been serving the Lord and they haven't been serving the people. And so God's calling them out. He's like, you're using your position and leadership for your own selfish game at the cost of my people. You're oppressing them, you're trampling them down, and, and, and you're, you're, he's like, you're like this bad shepherd. You're abusing the sheep. And so he's calling them out, and then we'll pick up in verse 11, and he says this. This is Yahweh speaking. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep, and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There, there they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself, I myself, Yahweh, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself 
will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. That's a beautiful picture. God's proclaiming, okay, y'all failed. I think this is where this story, it's, again, no coincidence, right? It's like sovereignly put together in a book called The Bible for Us. It's on purpose that Mark gives us the feeding of the 5,000 right after the story of Herod so that we can contrast and compare. This would-be king, yeah, his position, he should be serving the people. He should be leading the people to worship Yahweh. And what's he doing? He's drunk. And the, I don't even want to, <laughs> last week I was like trying to turn off my brain from picturing the story, right? Like, I don't want to know all that was happening. It's perverted, it's twisted, it's evil. And his banquet, his provision, it ends in death. And Yahweh's saying, yeah, okay, I'm gonna do it myself. I'm gonna come down there and I'm gonna save my sheep. I'm gonna heal the broken. I'm gonna find the lost. I'm gonna bring them to myself. I'm gonna feed them in good places. Look again in Ezekiel 34, down at verse 23. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am Yahweh, I have spoken. It's awesome. So he's saying, I myself, I'll be the shepherd. And then he says, I'll set up one shepherd. Who did he say? Come on, Red Oak. David, right? We just read it. It was on the screen. David, right? What's the deal, though? David's been dead for 400 years. When Ezekiel writes down this prophecy from the Lord, David's been dead 400 years. Who's he talking about? The son of David, the Messiah, the one who was promised, right? The one who would sit on the throne of his father, David, with an eternal rule and reign. He's saying, I'm going to be their shepherd. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to feed them. And I'm going to do it through David. And you got to think, man, if you were reading that prophecy, you're like, how? okay, is, is Yahweh the shepherd or is David the shepherd? Is it Yahweh? Is it David's son? And then you see in Jesus that Jesus is both. He is the son of God. He's Yahweh in the flesh. And he is the son of David. He's our Messiah. So when he steps onto that shore and he sees his people, he knows his role. He knows who he is, and he wants them to know it. He sees in lost humanity the broken, the sinful, the beaten down, the enslaved, who are starving to death. Not for physical food, but in their soul starving for the relationship with their creator that they were made for. And they keep trying to satisfy that desire with other things and it won't do it. 
So in his grace and his mercy, yeah, he spends all day teaching on the kingdom of God. And then he says, let me show you. Let me show you the kingdom of God. He performs this miracle and they eat the bread. They sit down on the green grass and it's this picture of the good shepherd has come. But that's not the only picture, is it? What's it also a picture of? Why does it also remind them not only of David, but of Moses? It's like manna from heaven. Somebody should write a song about that. Nobody watch Elf? Okay. They think about Moses. Because the other picture is, it, even that, not only did he have him sitting down in green grass, he says, uh, everyone sit down in 50s and 100s. So they sit in all these groups around Jesus, and in their mind, what they should have been thinking of is, we're in a desolate, lonely place, just like our forefathers were. And we're surrounding Jesus, just like our forefathers were encamped around the tabernacle. And just like our forefathers had nothing to eat, we have nothing to eat. And just like God gave them manna from heaven, Jesus just provided food in the wilderness. And so when they say, is this the prophet? They're kind of clued in. He, he's living out. He's the prophet like Moses, but greater. When he meets their needs and he has compassion on them, like they get like, he should be our king. This is the one. But they forget to do one thing. Do you remember what was the prophecy through Moses? I'll raise up a prophet like Moses, like you. When I do, what should you do? Listen to him. My words will be in his mouth. Listen to him. And that's where they fail. Listen to what happens in John, because like I said earlier, they go away. Jesus, they want to take him to make him king. He goes up on the mountain, and then they go back across, and the people track him down, right? Like, they, they just want to find him. They finally track him down, and they're like, man, how'd you get here? And he doesn't even really answer their question. Just when they're back around him, Jesus says this. This is John 6, 26 to 27. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, not because of the miracle, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we, we be doing to do the work of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. John six thirty five. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So they come, and Jesus calls them out. He says, And you're not here because of the sign." You're not here because of what the bread and the fish pointed to. You just want more bread and fish. They want their temporary physical needs met. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I met those, but only so that you would understand that I really came not to give bread, but to be bread. Like, you need me. Full submission to me. 
Say, man, I'm the bread that came down from heaven that if you partake of me, you'll never die. He's gonna say like, yeah, your fathers, they ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. It was temporary. It was a picture. Listen, uh, verses 47 through 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And this is where they get so offended. They want the food. They want him to be their king that leads them into freedom from Rome. They want full bellies. They want all their physical needs met. And Jesus will not bend to who they think that he should be. That's why he had walked away from them. So you, we, we don't get to determine who Christ is for us. But what he's offering is so much more. He's saying, I came that you could have eternal life so that your soul could be satisfied. Like, so that who you were made to be can find its fulfillment in relationship with God. And he says this, he says, if you eat my flesh, and he'll say again later on in John, he says, yeah, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And that's, that was it for the Jews. They, they were done, a lot of them. That's where they turn back and they won't follow Jesus anymore. It's such a, such a sad scene, and you're like, man, what is happening here? Don't they get it? Don't, don't they know that he's not talking about literally eating his, his, his flesh and literally drinking his blood, and what's going on? Because what Jesus is saying is, yeah, just like, just like I took that boy's lunch yesterday, and I broke the bread, and I broke the fish, and I distributed that so that your bellies would be satisfied, what he's getting at is, yeah, like, my flesh, my body has to be broken. And we know like Jesus goes to the cross so that his body would be broken and his blood would be shed so that our souls can be satisfied, so that we can have not just eternal life, not just that we would get to go to heaven when we die, that's obviously huge, but right now, right here, we can be satisfied in a relationship with the Lord, to know, to begin to taste the goodness of his joy and his peace, and his love, to know that now, not just one day far off, but to know it now, and then in, in perfection, <laughs> and then unmingled with my sinful desires and my, my fleshly shortcomings. We get to know it now. And it's interesting, because he turns to the disciples, remember this, and he says, are you guys, gonna, the other, like the 12, he says, are you gonna go away too? Will you also leave? You remember Peter speaks up and he says, where, where would we go? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And where are we gonna go? There's nowhere else to go. It's a beautiful picture of like real discipleship. <laughs> real real belief, I should say, because they get, not perfectly, and in a couple chapters, we're going to see, like, it's pretty funny, Ed and I were talking before service, because we've got the feeding of the 5,000, 
And then in a couple of weeks, we'll have the feeding of the 4,000. And then right after that, the disciples, so it's like a similar miracle, B- like magic food for everybody. Everybody, everybody gets a meal. Everyone gets a to-go box. And then like within, I think it's the same chapter or maybe the next, the disciples are in the boat with Jesus and somebody's like, oh man, I totally forgot to bring something to eat. They're like, Jesus, what are we gonna do? And you're like, a little background music, I like it. I'm like, what are we gonna do? And there's like, they're freaking out. And Jesus, he, he's like, for real? I fed 5,000 men, 4,000 men with food from my hands. And you're worried about like the 12 of us getting across the sea before you, like without a snack? Like, so, but, but here it's cool because they at least get it this much. You're a prophet like Moses. We gotta pay attention to what he says. We gotta pay attention to what he says. And what Jesus is saying is, what's more important than food in your belly? Right, the point of the story is not that Jesus cares about physical needs. Does he? Absolutely. That's not the main point. (laughs) The point isn't find a lad to share with. Like, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that Jesus came to meet our deepest needs. And what that was gonna mean is his body would be broken on the cross so that it could then be distributed to all. And what he's calling for is repentance and personal faith and trust in him that looks like full submission. That's what repentance and faith means, right? We, we surrender ourselves to Jesus. We receive the life that he gives. Listen, uh, listen to this quote from John Piper. I thought this was interesting. He was teaching on the same passage. He is back at the point where Jesus walks away from him, from John's account. So why did Jesus withdraw? Why did he walk away? He says, because the enthusiasm these people have is not for who he really is. This is so important for our day and for your life. People can have a great enthusiasm for Jesus, but the Jesus they're excited about is not the real biblical Jesus. Pause there. Is it behind me? Can you see it? Okay. Pause there. I want you to think on that for a second. It may be a morally exemplary, oh, I knew it, a really good example, Jesus, or a socialist Jesus, or a capitalist Jesus, or an anti-Semitic Jesus, or a white racist Jesus, or a revolutionary liberationist Jesus, or a countercultural cool Jesus, or maybe a he gets us Jesus, but not the whole Jesus who, in the end, gives his life a ransom for sinners. And if your enthusiasm for Jesus is for a Jesus that doesn't exist, your enthusiasm is no honor to the real Jesus, and he will leave you and go into the mountain. It's the same thing. People don't change. They were cool with Jesus as long as Jesus was willing to be the Jesus that they wanted him to be. And and Jesus doesn't bend and he doesn't bow and he doesn't change. He says, "I, I won't come to you like on your terms, but I'm calling you to come to me on mine. And it's an awesome deal. Come, be forgiven. 
Come have your sin taken away and my righteousness given to you. Yeah, does it mean to submit and to believe and to repent? Yes. Does it mean I don't get to choose my identity? I don't get to choose my lifestyle? I don't get to say what my sexuality should be? Like, yeah, but come and surrender all that and receive life now and forever. I love that they take up the baskets, right? It's this cool picture. I remember as a kid, I was always like, what's the significance of the baskets? And there's like 12 baskets in one story and seven in another, and it must be about numbers, and I don't know, maybe. But what struck me in, in this study of it was, you know, with the manna in the wilderness, God would send manna, they get to collect it every morning, but it was only good for that day unless the next day was the Sabbath, then you could collect an extra day's worth. But if you tried to keep it past the time that God had permitted, it would rot, right? It was no good. So you just had enough for that day. And Jesus performs this similar miracle, but what do they take up? The leftovers, right? The abundance. I think, yeah, what, what that was a picture of, God's provision, and what we have in Christ is so much more. Now, and forever. So, I would leave us, I guess with this, is two things, quick thoughts, and I'll be done. I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, ah, oh, I wish I could see that. Like as a believer, man, if I could see something like that, that would totally change the way I live. Or like people who maybe are searching and seeking and they think, gosh, I just wish if I could see the fish out of thin air thing, I would, I would believe. And that's not the case. It's not seeing the miracle, it's submitting to the miracle worker, right? They saw it. These people not only saw the miracle, they ate the miracle, right? <laughs> and they still walked away. Jesus tells Thomas like, hey, that's great that you believe in me now that you've like touched the nail-scarred hands and my resurrected body. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. What the Bible teaches us is, man, you could have sat, you could have set up a lawn chair right outside the tomb and seen the stone rolled away and watched Jesus walked out and you still could get up, walk away in unbelief. Or 2,000 years later, you can hear that message proclaimed and preached and the God of heaven who works miracles can grant you faith to believe, to give you eyes to see that Jesus did walk out of that tomb. I wasn't there, but I see him and I believe him. You read this story and go, yeah, you can't make fish out of nothing. That's right, congratulations. Yes, that's the point. Jesus can, and I believe it. Why? Man, because he brought me to, re like, I didn't used to care that it, the things that I did were bad, but now I feel bad for him. He brought me to conviction, and, and in his grace, I just believe. I trust this Jesus. I hear his words, and I trust him, and I, I want to surrender to him. That's the miracle. <laughs> that's the miracle. Not seeing it, but having God, the author of the miracle, the author of all creation, speak life into your soul. And so, 
encourage you as always, if you're, if you're not a believer, if you don't know Christ, and please don't, don't reject him. Don't put him off, that you would come to him. Whatever it is that you would hold on to, and let that go, what Jesus has is truly so much better. Repent and believe and come to Christ. And I say as believers, man, let's not fall into the trap, right? Let's not fall, in, let's not fall for the lies that we see everyone else in our culture enslaved to. We know that the things of this world, the lies of our flesh, will not satisfy us. We know it. Like, let, let it be grotesque to you. Like, that scene in Herod's palace, like, that's what we're trading off for when we, when we deny ourselves from daily going to the word of God and hearing from Jesus and being satisfied in Christ. If we're not doing that, man, we're gonna go to the other. And we're going to try to be satisfied with the temporary pleasures of this world and see it for what it is. It's empty, it doesn't satisfy, and it's grotesque. But come to Christ every day believing, just like he fed him on that mountainside, like Jesus is going to satisfy my soul today abundantly. Pray with me. Lord God, love you. Thank you for your word. I thank you for your people, your church. God, thank you that you would love us and allow us to meet together like this, that we can have confidence that in you we're, we're forgiven. God, thank you that we have stories like this to, to remind us of your power and your authority. And, and just like you said in your word that these things are written that we might believe, I, I pray for the folks in our community who don't, don't know you, don't trust you. I pray that in your kindness you would perform the miracle that only you can perform, that you would bring them to repentance and you'd author and perfect their faith, Lord Jesus. I pray for us that that know you, those of us who are your children. I pray that we would be more mindful of where we get filled up and how we try to satisfy our soul and our emotions and our desires that we would come to you and to you alone and that would free us to serve other people with the truth of the gospel. Love you, Lord.